Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 185. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. Welcome along, Nate. Great to have you back. Uh, you've just uh, just really landed back in the country, haven't you? Yeah, I got back um, sun, first thing Sunday morning. So I was um, a company called Autotask, which is um, they provide software for IT companies, um, asked me to go and speak at their global conference in Miami. So yeah, I was over there for about two and a half weeks. Good fun. Excellent. Excellent. Well, now we're back on the ground. Let's uh, let's jump into the news bites for the week. Uh, first up, uh, Nokia are launching their Lumia 630, uh, top of the line Windows Phone handset uh, via Vodafone in New Zealand very very soon. Uh, this is uh, considered probably the, right at the top of the um, the specs as far as a uh, a Windows Phone handset. Uh, on the market today, it's a uh, a full HD uh, display, uh, five inch screen, twenty megapixel camera, uh, wireless charging, and a bunch of other bits and pieces. So um, it should be quite nice for those uh, Windows Phone fans who are uh, ready to line up for a new handset. Um, Telecom New Zealand have announced that uh, they've acquired AppServe. Uh, they paid $17 million. AppServe's been around for about, uh, I think it's about 14 years. And, um, yeah, they've just added it to their portfolio. They added uh, Rivera um, not that long ago. And AppServe um, specialise in a sort of cloud desktop as a service. So if you don't want to have a, a server on-premises, you can have this um, desktop in the cloud. And they've pulled that in, and I'm assuming it's part of their uh, their sort of change of plans, which will... Uh, correlate with their change of name that ha- that's happening in August, I think, and changing to Spark. So, and two degrees, uh, their uh, annual results have been released. Uh, now, what we uh, what we've heard is that they're um, they made a net loss for the year to December thirty uh, first of thirty five point nine million, which is down twenty uh, percent on their uh, loss last year of just over forty five. Uh, million, which is sort of to be expected at this this stage uh, in the game for them, as they're investing heavily in sort of getting their uh, their networks established and and growing their uh, their customer base. We know the customer base is, is somewhere north of a million customers. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, how many, uh, but we understand out of um, the entire. Uh, mobile um, telecommunication services in New Zealand. That market is worth about two point four uh, billion, and uh, Two Degrees now have about fourteen percent of that uh, that total spend. Go Two Degrees. Um, so Corplus have just acquired Orcon. Um, so Lot, lots of acquisitions going on here. Yeah, lots of money flying around. Pity none's coming my way. Um, so Corplus have bought um, Orcon. Orcon, sorry, which um, takes them up to. Uh, 15% market share of the or the internet market here, and that makes them number three in the um, in the market, and they went with a total of 220,000 customers. So at the moment, they've announced that they are going to keep the Orcon brand completely separate, sort of as Cordia um, did, and so Orcon's going to sit in the portfolio with Slingshot and Flip, and so Flip's another really low cost um, internet provider. And uh, estimations are that they paid about. Thirty million for Orcon, so not too shabby at all. Interesting, interesting. Well, the interesting thing there, I guess, is that they were, you know, they were they were they were bought uh, what around uh, around twelve months ago, uh, 
and then it looks as though that hasn't gone particularly well, and, and hence why they've been uh, been acquired again. Well, let's jump in. <laughs> let's jump into our other uh, stories for the week now. Uh, Google have uh, on the on the acquisition front. Um, I mean, a lot of the big the big tech companies in the states are, are acquiring uh, businesses pretty regularly, and one of those uh, the acquisitions that's, that's just been announced in the last few days is Google's acquisition of a company called uh, Skybox. Now, I found this one quite fascinating when I looked up uh, Skybox, and I hadn't come across them before. Uh, they offer a fairly uh, a fairly u- unique service in the market. And what what they can do for you is allow you to basically book a satellite to uh, to take some still or video footage of a particular location for you. So you can uh, jump in, you get basically get into their queue, and when the satellite's available, it will uh, it will do your bidding for you. And uh, so it might be that you want a, uh, a satellite view over, um, well, who knows what, maybe uh, somebody else's country, somebody else's property, uh, all sorts of things. And, uh, and Skybox is, is a company that will, uh, will do that for you. Now, of course, this technology becomes pretty handy for uh, Google with Google Maps and, and, and Google Earth, uh, basically gives them uh, you know ability to get whatever they want. And and to really, I guess, accelerate their uh, their their access to footage after maybe particular events happen, be they natural disasters or wars and other situations where they'd just love to have uh, up to the minute footage. And by actually owning that um, that satellite uh, capability, they will be able to do uh, whatever they want. At this stage, the deal ha- uh, with Skybox hasn't closed, so you can uh, you can still go to the Skybox website. As they are today, and uh, and and look them up, and uh, yeah, well, well, well worth a look um, if you're kind of curious at this Big Brother sort of stuff that they're uh, um, that they're able to do. Nate, what's uh, what do you think about this whole uh, whole thing? Well, if you th- remember back when Google Earth launched, um, it was an amazing product because you could pretty much spin the globe round and then zoom in or out of the whole world right down to street level, which was amazing. Um, interesting um, buy-up for Google, but I think yeah, it, f- it fits really well in that sort of product space. So instead of, I suppose maybe in a few years we'll look back at Google Maps, uh, sorry, Google Earth, thinking, well, that was quite quaint, being able to see old images, but now you could actually, using this acquisition, be able to zoom in and real-time see um, images of the Earth from all the way out in space. Yes, and the, I mean, there's just been an announcement in in the last few days, also uh, that uh, whoever it is that controls these things, I think it's the U.S. Uh, uh, government, um, only al- allowed these guys to sort of publish uh, detail down to a sort of certain uh, definition. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really see that really close uh, close detail on the ground. Um, they've just increased that capability so they can zoom down as, uh, I think, as low as about 30 centimetres now. Wow. So a much higher definition uh, result is is possible there. Um, so what, what that actually leads to in, in terms of the sorts of things that can be uh, seen, I guess, you know, we'll really only get a handle on that over time as as we watch what uh what's what things this uh this leads to um but i did one of the news stories that i i i read about this said you know with this ability to sort of basically go in and 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 zoom on in on anywhere 
uh, on the planet. There's all sorts of ways that people might uh, utilize this information. Uh, for instance, um, some media might be interested in when uh, Apple are launching their new handsets. This would uh, would allow somebody to basically zoom in and keep a little bit of a watch on the factories where iPhones are being built, and notice, oh, there's a really big increase in the trucks going in and out. There's some, you know, there's some activity here that that suggests something in particular. Uh, so we really are, you know, moving into quite a quite a changing world in in, in terms of. Uh, the sorts of things that can be watched compared to you know what could have been 10, 20, uh, 30 years ago. I suppose we really don't know the ramifications of what this purchase will have until it actually gets out into the market and we see what the applications are, whether they're both good and sorry, um, not so good. Agreed. Uh, now, there's been some details uh, leaked. Now, we don't know whether these are entirely true, but it, it sounds quite um, quite feasible on Samsung's next Galaxy Note. Uh, handset, the Galaxy Note Four. Um, now you're quite a big uh, big fan of the the Samsung handsets, Nate. Uh, I've actually just uh, probably about three yeah just before I left actually three weeks ago I bought my um, partner better half a Galaxy Note Three, um, which is a massive phone. Um, having not you really used that that sort of size, um, is that a phablet? It's clouded as a phablet, isn't it? It is phone, often often slash tablet. Yes, often given that name, uh, some people absolutely uh, hate, hate the term, but uh, that seems to that term seems to uh, keep catching on. For for want of a better word, what else do you call it? Um, uh, a giant phone or a phablet? They mostly get called the phablet. So. Um, yeah, so there's been a bit of bit of bit of um, bits and pieces sort of floating around on that. Now the um, the original article that I f- that I found on that has disappeared off the web, so I don't know whether that uh, means that uh, what we were reading on this was a, was a complete hoax and um, was not true at all. So yeah, if we get any more <laughs> details on that. Um, We'll share them, but yeah, there was a there was certainly a bunch of stuff that was uh, was floating around the web on that. Yeah, um, I, I see that it's going to launch in um, two thousand and fourteen as well. So, oh, sorry, second quarter was it second quarter, or second half of two thousand and fourteen? Well, we're pretty much in, we're about to kick into the third the third quarter. So, um, running out of time. Yeah, my 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 feeling is it's n- it's not going to uh, it's un un unlikely to launch in the next uh, week. Although that's that's uh, that's possible too, um, but yeah, it's, it sounds like there is uh, um, a likelihood we'll see that in the third quarter, which sort of lines up with what we've been what what we've seen previously from Samsung in terms of timing. Um, the, the I guess that one of the big things on the, this rumor is we're seeing, uh, or they're talking about the the, uh, the screen resolution bumping up even higher than what we're seeing uh, today. Um, I mean, that's not going to excite. Everyone, but I guess that's what we see with these products is uh, you know just one you know a bump from one uh, one generation to the next. Mm. Uh, now, in uh, in other news, we have heard from uh, from Sky TV that they are going to be launching a subscription video on demand service, otherwise known as SVOD, is the uh, the industry term. Uh, and of course, telecom are uh, are moving into that same uh, space right now. Uh, what we know from Sky is theirs will be launching uh, sometime this year. 
it will be available, I believe, free for existing uh, Sky subscribers, but will be broadly available. So you don't need to be a um, an existing Sky customer to get access to their subscription video on demand service. They're touting it very much as a uh, uh, a Netflix style service. So you would you would expect that there'll be apps available across a uh, a broad range of uh, of devices. Uh, believe including um, Apple TV and so on. So they're, they're going to work very hard to make this uh, really accessible and available to a, um, a broad audience. And, of course, Sky have some fairly deep pockets, pretty profitable firm. Uh, at this stage, they are saying that there won't be any sport offerings across this. So this is very much designed as that sort of competition uh, to Netflix style services such as QuickFlix, which we have in New Zealand today, uh, the offering that uh, is is in the process of being launched by uh, by Telecom. What's uh, what are your thoughts on this, Nate? With Sky coming into this space, I mean they seem to have been quite slow moving in some regards, and in, in a lot of their sort of technology innovations. And they don't have the best reputation out there. For instance, uh, you know we've had a lot of sports on TV recently and with um, SkyGo their on demand service a lot of people have been complaining that it just doesn't work it just doesn't work yeah yeah that's it I know of a um, my business partner was down at a I can't remember what match it was they were watching some match at a, a bar which had bought the my um, the the, the MySky thing and to the fact that he actually found because it was really jittery which mm, amazed mm. him he actually ended up finding a, a Russian site you know a, a sort of third party site and streamed it off there and it was perfectly fine which still and, and that, my mind and that's what I'm hearing is you can actually get, get an, an illegal stream of sports matches and get a much better result than what you will off the uh, off the Sky result so mm. I think Sky have got a bit to do there to uh uh, improve their reputation and you know obviously there's some extreme demands around uh, streaming sport because you've got huge numbers of people you know all at once and and you know I guess they haven't uh, they haven't built the scale to handle that particular uh, situation yet and it would you know there'll be huge peaks and then it'll drop off yeah it's a bit, uh, of, a, to, it's a bit to, of a tricky one to engineer from a networking point of view because yeah you go from um, a ridiculous low when obviously there's no sports on to just being absolutely slammed but it doesn't surprise me that Sky's been slow, so slow off the mark with a SVOD service because I can draw parallels between say Telecom and Naked DSL um, Telecom was very slow in bringing out Naked DSL and only did it through their big pipe subsidiary um, because they wanted to sell phone lines like why would Sky um, speed up a service that's going to start cutting into their revenue streams it's just um, you know the accountants running around screaming going this doesn't make any sense so it's not surprising that they're running an SVOD service I know on the NZ Tech podcast site we do have instructions on how to use um, Netflix and, and, and all the, the trickery that you need to do I still think they're a long way off and if people do want to be able to watch that sort of service I, I'd recommend them just subscribing to Netflix if I'm honest better content and you are breaking the I suppose this is again debatable you are breaking the, the terms and conditions of the um, provider, however, you are paying you're within the law. As yeah, far you're as paying. You're paying yeah. for the service. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and I guess my hope is that these um, subscription, you know, video services that are, that are launching from Sky and Telecom will get uh, sufficient funding to be to be really good, and that we're really going to see these guys, uh, you know, scrap it out 
a little bit and and provide some great uh, great products uh, and quick quick flicks of course is there at the moment. Uh, I think you know at, at the moment most people would find that their their you know lack of content pretty frustrating. And I watch I use them f- um, from time to time to watch a you know watch a watch a movie and so on because you can get uh, you know movies on demand that you pay for through quick flicks as you can with a range of other services. Uh, and you know, quick flicks. You know, been around for quite a while, but uh, still not perfect. And certainly in in this case, I was watching from home, and uh, <coughs> the movie sort of kept uh, you know stopping and stopping and starting. Oh, really? S- so I don't know. That could have been a, a uh, certainly could have been an internet connection uh, issue. But I, you know, everything else seemed to be running okay. Other than that, so um, yeah, there, that are, there are some challenges. A few times to- that I've used QuickFlix, it's been pretty good. And yeah. to be fair, Patty, who's the MD, I think of mm. of QuickFlix. You know, the, the most common complaint is the fact that they've got no content, and and his pretty much rebut was the the fact that the, any of the content they want to get is already tied up in the existing um, players here. So it's very hard for QuickFlix to to get the rights to something that's already been sold. Um, I think that will change over time, but. It's just going to take a lot of time for those rights to expire and then quick flicks and hopefully make a good bid and actually have a good offering with good content. Yeah, and uh, we've invited uh, Sky <laughs> to uh, to come on, on the podcast and uh, they were going to do that this week, but uh, the CEO is in New York and uh, our media uh, person who was going to come on hasn't been very well. So uh, we hope to sort that out in the next uh, week or two and sort of hear from the horse's mouth, as it were, uh, and and get a picture on uh, really what their vision is for this, but uh, certainly you know I don't think we sh- we should be uh, you know complaining about there being more competition, and you know good to see Sky sort of looking uh, looking forward a little bit rather than just looking at their uh, more traditional types of offerings. So uh, yeah, we'll fill that picture in a, a little bit more soon. Now um, something that that. Uh, Vodafone uh, jumped on and, and sort of pushed out through their their uh, public relations channels in in the last couple of weeks. And when it came up last week, it, it um, to be fair, it didn't didn't excite me uh, too much. And this was um, that Vodafone have have appeared on a sort of a rankings list as having the the best or the fastest mobile network speeds in the world. Uh now, Nate, do you think this could be true? <coughs> could um, could Vodafone New Zealand have the have the fastest mobile network in the world? I am quite biased because I've been a Vodafone um, customer since I was like sixteen, I think, or seventeen. I actually haven't swapped away. But Vodafone didn't exist when I was sixteen. Yeah, well, they were actually um, oh, not Blue to, uh, Bell South. They were Bell South back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, um, they in my mind they seem to be the sort of forefront, especially when rolling out four G and. Okay, this is a consumer test and it's not, um, you know, before we started the podcast we were discussing how in more of a sort of laboratory setting you'd have people evenly distributed all over the country, ideally with a telecom and Vodafone handset, all using the exact same endpoint. And two degrees. And two degrees, sorry. Don't miss them out. Um, with the three handsets all, you know, doing the, the speed test and that would give you the sort of most scientific, I reckon, test. Um, so, yeah, this is a little bit scared. I don't know when you first got 4G, but... I remember until I worked out it was like 100 meg a time. 
I was showing 4G speed tests to every man and a dog, every man and his dog that wanted to, to Saying, view it. Look how awesome the speed is! And then you get the 80% reminder or the 80% alert going. You're just about running out of data. You think, oh, I'll just show you a screenshot. Yeah, yeah, um, <coughs> yeah. And and that's definitely something that uh, that I did a lot, mostly during the during the uh, yeah trialing it because I, I tried it out across all the mobile networks with their 4G service. Um, but the interesting thing about that the speed test is anyone can do it any time. So you you might think, well, this is going to be a fair coverage because people will just do it and you'll end up with a fair view. But the point you raise is you tend to do a speed test either when you're getting frustrated that things are really slow so you can work out what's going on or because you think it's pretty fast and, as you said, Nate, you maybe want to show it off. Um, so there are those sort of prob- maybe two typical scenarios which a, a, an average Joe uh, might run the speed test app, which shows you, wow, I've got blistering fast mobile internet or or not. Uh, but it seems like in New Zealand there is a massive amount of these tests that are um, that are being run. And so we ended up getting some communication back from, uh, from, from Telecom about this. And I guess the reason I didn't talk about it initially was I was a little bit... Uh, Skeptical because I don't see the results that come from the speed test app as being uh, a fair and balanced view necessarily of the market because you know anyone could run a whole lot of tests from one location where it's really fast or whatever and bump up how they look or they could run tests on a competing network which will pile in and basically the way that that speed test works is and stores these ocular um, ocular results. Is they you know they end up with this um, yeah listing of all all these speeds a database of all the results uh, which, which are obviously been accessible and referred to in this uh, in this test uh, and but yeah so my thought was well yeah how do you know how accurate it was and telecom went away and did some analysis they they're obviously um, a little bit upset that um, about it. Um, that Vodafone are waving their flag saying hey we're the best in the world ha ha ha. Um, you can imagine, though, that if uh, if the shoe was on the other foot and uh, Telecom had come up uh, at the top, they probably would have been waving their flag around saying, hey, we're the fastest in the world. Uh, as it happens, there was a slight difference of about 10% between the two, according to the um, uh, the Ocular results. Uh, but, uh, yeah, some of the comments that we got back from, uh, from Telecom that just, they said, are, are worth considering... Um, one of them was that um, one of the what they referred to as a weird anomaly uh, was that uh, around 1,200 tests uh, or 12.4 percent of the um, the Vodafone tests were conducted in the vicinity of Boston Road in Mount Eden, right next to the Mount Eden Prison, um, which is a, a fair chunk of the uh, of the tests, and apparently about five percent. Uh, or 400 or so of the telecom tests also came from the same location. So that's going to skew it because you've got a whole lot from one location, which will probably, over time, give you a, a similar uh, uh, you know, result. So you don't really need 1,200 or 400. I mean, add those two together, 1,600 tests from one location. So there's something a little bit odd there. Um, there are a few other things that they, uh, that, that they highlighted uh, as well. Uh, such as you know how much 4G there is in the country, and that you know the, the tests were showing a, a very high proportion of 4G tests, whereas uh, 4G handsets or, or devices 
uh, in use within the New Zealand market at the moment only account for somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the of the handsets so uh, a few interesting bits and pieces that they that they pointed out there so um, and the, so their conclusion was which lined up with my original thinking um, was you know take the, those uh, those results I guess um, you know with, with with a grain of salt to, to, to some degree um, because then it's not really a purely sort of scientific test. Um, that said, well done Vodafone for uh, for winning anyway, even if it wasn't a uh, uh, completely balanced view. And uh, you know the the point is we do actually have uh, have very very good speeds here on our mobile networks. And uh, you know what we're seeing from um, particularly from telecom and Vodafone is some uh, some some pretty snappy speeds on their uh, their four G LTE networks. Mm. Do you feel that? Because um, I, I know I'm a little bit biased, but do you think because Vodafone sort of led the charge with 4G and then um, Telecom, was it Telecom two degrees that's really followed second? Yeah, so te- and Telecom have sort of come in, uh, come in a, a little bit further behind them. So yeah, yeah you know Vodafone have have uh, you know have have pushed pushed that forward. Uh, they do seem to be powering ahead. I, I do think the one thing that tripped Vodafone up, um, which I understand, I understand the reason why they did it was the initial ten dollar 4G add on, which was annoying. Um, that now that's gone um, because obviously you had to pay a premium if you wanted that top yeah, speed out of their network, which was which frustrating. But I can see why they did it because they were first off the the rank, so you might as well. Well, the, and the earlier the that you get in, the more expensive it is. So mm. you know them jumping in and being the first to have it. Uh, you know who knows? Maybe that cost them another twenty million compared to if they waited. So they might have been trying to uh, to to get a little bit of that back. Um, they certainly got some benefit out of the bragging rights. And uh, any sort of media, you know, coverage like this one of being uh, fastest in the world doesn't uh, uh, doesn't hurt them either, does it? No. Um, now the other thing, uh, talking of four G LTE networks, uh, two degrees are uh, well. I don't know when they're actually officially launching their service, but they've been nice enough to uh, to fire across uh, a handset recently with a uh, a SIM card that's activated to uh, to test their four G. Uh, LTE network, and so I've been having a little bit of a play around with that. Um, and I, I guess my, um, you know, they, they obviously haven't finished yet; they're not quite live, but they seem to have reasonably broad coverage around Auckland from the map they showed me and the, you know, the few different uh, tests I've done. Uh, so they're not going to launch with just you know one or two cell sites that are uh, that are at top speed. That looks like they're going to be uh, having a, having a whole bunch in Auckland at least. And I haven't uh, haven't tried further afield to be fair. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're, um, the network uh, provider they use, uh, Huawei, uh, have have provided them with a network that was always designed uh, to be reasonably easy to go from the two G uh, and three G capability they have now to easily add four G onto that, and uh, and that's basically what they're trialling at the moment. It seems pretty good. Um, if I had to be critical, I would say that their their speed doesn't seem uh, doesn't seem as fast probably uh, I was done a few more tests today from what I'd initially done uh, probably not quite as fast as what I was seeing across uh, some of the tests on Vodafone and, and telecom initially uh, that said that was that was last year now so my memory could be uh, could be playing up a little bit on me um, you know still seeing you know around the you know, top speeds around uh, 90 megabits a second coming down over a mobile connection and upload speeds, uh, you know, sometimes uh, north of, of 30 megabits. So, you know, up there with UFB type speeds, very, very snappy, 
uh, faster than your average person's uh, home internet connection. So it's certainly nothing to complain about. And, uh, you know, looking forward to that being rolled out uh, much more broadly. Yeah, it just makes some, um, especially when you're pairing your uh, mobile with um, your laptop, it actually makes it usable instead of being sort of a, a poor excuse for um, speed using, um, what's the technology in it? HSDPA, I suppose. 4G is just, I love 4G. Mm. So yep. No, it is. It's great, isn't it? And and I guess, you know, the, the, the only hold up is that, it you know, it's expensive if you want to do to do a lot over your uh, your 4G connection. Now, talking of 4G, uh, we've got a new handset we've been um, having, a, having a quick look at in the office. Um, is a uh, Sony Xperia M2 handset. Now, this one's quite interesting because it has uh, uh, some of the similar styling uh, to, to Sony's um, Xperia Z2. Um, this is a, a sort of a, a white, um, you know, front and back to the handset. Uh, but quite a nice uh, handset with a large screen. Not quite as big as their their top of the line, um, you know, thousand and forty nine dollar um, Z two. But this handset is three hundred and ninety nine dollars, so completely different price point. Uh, but still with a big screen. It's a four point eight inch screen, uh, lower than um, lower than HD uh, resolution. And um, but it's got an eight megapixel camera and a, a quad core one point two gigahertz uh, chip in it, so it, you know it still uh, still performs reasonably well for that sort of uh, sub four hundred dollar price point. Nate, what's your pick? Is this going to um, is this going to be be of interest to um, to a lot of people? I mean, Sony uh, you know have been making some quite nice handsets over the last couple of years. And generally pretty good with their optics and their cameras. This one's got a, an eight megapixel uh, camera, uh, but it takes that sort of larger, larger form factor with a four point eight inch screen. Mm. It's a very nicely built handset. I can't believe it's. This definitely looks like sort of eight hundred dollar range. It's an amazing build quality. It's really nice. It's such a new hand. Well, uh, camera looks very nice. And how much was it? Was it four hundred? Yeah, three hundred ninety nine. So yeah, it surprised me when I looked at it. I was I was thinking, oh, this is a kind of upper mid range uh, handset. But yeah, f- as far as Android handsets c- are concerned, uh, it's probably the nicest handset I've seen at that four hundred dollar uh, you know price point to to date. Certainly from a you know from one of the um, the well known brands or players. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, quite quite interesting. And uh, it's got the it's got this power on button in the best place too. It's it's not too high, and it sort of sits like if you're holding that in one hand, where most of us do. The having the power button sort of halfway down the chassis rather than three quarters of the way up, as Samsung um, keep doing, mm. works really well. And also having the dedicated button for cameras, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite handy. I like having a, a you know the um, the dedicated camera button. It's you know one of those little. Uh, things that that you get used to when you're using a Windows phone, as they all have, you know, they tend to all have that. Uh, and yeah, it's pretty handy, uh, you know, especially when you've got a a, a reasonable sort of, uh, you know, camera in there as well. So because um, hmm. let's be fair, like if you're wanting to take a photo, it's normally you want to boot it up and quickly get into it. You don't really want to mess around going through menus. Exactly. So having a dead K button's quite nice. Yeah. Um, the screen resolution I mentioned it's nine sixty by five forty pixels. So you know it's definitely um, yeah a big step down from that full HD and and some of the top of the line uh, smartphones. But 
it actually doesn't uh, surprisingly doesn't doesn't um, doesn't look that bad. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, I, it's still okay. I suppose my only criticism would be is having the charging port near the top on the left hand side. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm trying to work out why. I don't know why would you stick it up there. Yes, yeah. Why not I'm, just stick it on I'm the not bottom? Sure. Um, now yeah, Apple sticks it on the bottom. Uh, one thing to be aware of is the M2, I believe, is not waterproof like the uh, like the Z2. So, You'd find that out the hard way, um, wouldn't you? Yeah, so ju- just be aware of that. If you think, oh, yeah, this looks just like the Z2 and the waterproof and all that sort of cool stuff, um, no, don't go swimming with it. Don't take it in the shower. Uh, not really designed for uh, either. Those are not uh, recommended use cases. Uh, unless you can well, work, you can. work you out can. some sort of waterproofing or you're happy to uh, destroy your phone. Yeah, happy if you break your phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Nate, I wanted to chat a little bit about Uber because both of us have been traveling in the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, we've talked about Uber before. We've, we've almost become fanboys for, uh, for Uber or this style of service. We like this, you know, whole, whole uh, new way of... Uh, um, yeah, having a personal driver, or in traditional terms, getting a getting a cab. Uh, now, I found myself uh, in both uh, Taipei and Hong Kong needing to uh, needing to get around the place, and uh, I u- used a little bit of uh, Uber. And uh, you you had a similar um, situation on your travels. You were in uh, San Francisco and Miami. How did you get on with uh, with Uber in in those uh, locations? Um, fantastic! I'm a big fan of Zoomi, uh, which is the New Zealand sort of version of um, Uber. So that's um, that's been here for a wee while. Um, the fact is, Uber just works ridiculously well. So for anyone who hasn't used Uber, it's a really easy sign. I actually signed up when I was in Sydney, which I thought would be a problem when trying to use it here. And in, so I've used it in Sydney, in Auckland, and in. Miami and San Fran. So I thought it would be a problem signing up, but it, it, it isn't. Um, so you sign up to it, you register a credit card, and you just bring up the app, and it's got a little map on it with a little pin, and then you just go, yes, I'm ready to be picked up. It gives you a, a time indication of three to, to ten minutes. Um, you can get a quote, so you can actually say, I'm going to the zoo or the, the science museum, or wherever you're going, and it will give you a, a quote of what that's going to cost. Um, in the latest update, the drivers were telling me if you do a quote, it actually their driver's app actually shows navigation. So it'll show you where you are now, and it'll actually navigate based on what you put in the quote, which I thought was quite cool. Yep. Um, then you just go submit. Um, I had a lot of discussion with the drivers because we were spending a lot of time in these in the Uber cars. Um, they've got 15 seconds, so it does a, a sort of geospatial query. Who's the closest driver to, to where I am as the consumer? Um, they've got 15 seconds to uh, accept, Grab it. Accept Otherwise, the it goes out to to the, a wider a wider base, and yep. um, they then shoot around, pick you up, and the, the time starts ticking. Um, they were also talking about uh, in San Fran because Uber's originally a San Fran service. That uh, a lot of them had two phones, which I asked about, and Uber's actually provided them with a little iPhone, and um, that's the dedicated Uber phone. It, it's got no, it's got a SIM card in it, but it only does data, and you can't really do much else with it other than than Uber off it. And, um, yeah, they said Uber provided it. And they've also been, if you can sort of talk yourself up, Uber um, provides these sort of cash incentives to make you swap, swap from, say, a competitive service like Lyft or, or, or any of the other ones. Um, the big features I like about Uber is the fact that, especially in the States, um, I don't really want to ring an American call center because Americans struggle with our accent as it is. I can just as, go out for dinner with friends, uh, walk outside, um, tap the, the pin, 
if a friend of mine's got Uber as well, we can actually split the fare, which I don't know if you've you've ever yeah, tried. Yeah, yeah, I see that they've they've built that in, and it's uh, it's very easy to do. You can split the fare. You can wait for a cab. You can actually on the map it shows you exactly how far away the cab is, which is quite nice. And they send you a text message when they're sort of a minute away. Um, well, that does seem to vary in terms of different drivers will do different things, different routes. And um, that sort of thing. My my experience on that in Taipei. Uh, was that all of the drivers there like to call you before they pick you up. So they oh, okay. like to call. Because the addresses can be a little bit ambiguous, and this mm. is to do with the way that uh, the Chinese addresses are, and you know, I think you might see a similar thing in Japan as well, from what I can remember about addresses there. Uh, they like to call and sort of clarify. Uh, and so that was a problem. In the end, what I ended up doing was just ignoring those calls um, and they always came anyway because mm. um, they could see it was an international number. Uh, so I didn't have any any issue uh, with that from that perspective. The, um, the I think the big feature there's, well, there's two things that one feature I really like and one feature I think they're missing. The big feature I really like is the fact that my my big pet peeve with cabs is let's say you and I are going out for dinner, we jump out of the cab and one of us has got to pay. You're really wanting to get in and, and having something to eat, and no doubt the card doesn't work, the machine's out of range, you got to reboot the machine, don't have enough paper, blah 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 blah. I just want to get out and leave. I don't want to be sitting there trying to work out how we're going to pay. So that's. Uber's got that and now, Uber's right? Because it just automatically builds yeah, you, so off, you off your credit if you card. Build, if you book a cab with Uber, you get out, the guy says thanks, he clicks um, job complete or, or trip over, and then your phone pops up saying please give feedback. Um, the, the feature I really wish Uber had was the fact of being able to book at a particular time, and I had I debated this with pretty much every driver, and I said to him, like when we were in Sydney, for example, my partner and I were going to this dinner, and, and we needed to leave by 7.30, and what I would like to have been done with Uber is uh, to say to Uber, look, this is where I want to be picked up. I need to leave by this time and then just coordinate it. But he said in places like San Fran, there's so many drivers on that you can walk out and no cab drivers more than, or no UberX drivers more than sort of three or four minutes away. So that sort of negates the whole reason. Well, I think the, the other reason was is that Uber has a, um, has a feature that, that works, works a little bit like um, your airfares when, you know, when seats are selling out, airfare mm. prices might go up. Or if they've got a whole lot of seats to, to, to sell, certainly you'll you know you'll see this in, in Europe and Asia and so on. You know you get different prices based on based on demand. And what Uber d- will will do, uh, you know, particularly in those sort of uh, bigger markets where there's, there's something major happening, maybe it's Thanksgiving in the US or some sports game or something that's on, or maybe uh, really really bad weather, and most drivers don't want to actually be out. Uh, those who do come out in the really bad sort of blizzardy weather, uh, they get a better reward for it because actually they'd prefer to be at home, and so the rates go up uh, based on demand. Yeah, I didn't. So I, I did notice that one of the times we're in San Fran, I think we paid an extra twenty percent premium mm, for mm, the pickup. And yeah, so booking booking in advance wouldn't work with that with that type of uh, yeah. capability because they don't know about it. Un, until it happens, so yeah, that that's an interesting um, sort of supply and demand uh, type thing they've got built in. If um, I um if I boot up Uber right now, I can see obviously it's not as popular here in New Zealand as it is over there, but there's about seven or eight drivers that are uh, going around. What are we in Newton? I suppose. Is yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just on the edge of the CBD. Yeah, and I think an interesting point there around uh, Uber is that it's really good when you're in CBD and, and particular areas, but if you're too far out or in a, in a unique area, then it won't work very no. well. And, of course, it doesn't even work anywhere outside of Auckland at the moment. But uh, I was on the North Shore recently and thought, I'll see if I can pick up an Uber here. 
And uh, no, just said there was none. Uh, I can be at my home, which is uh, you know ten minutes out of the uh, out of the city, and you know sometimes then not not find a car nearby. And certainly Auckland Airport, I've tried on a couple of occasions, and no uh, no vehicles available. So I guess my point about Uber, great for international when you're travelling a lot of these different places. Uh, great in certain areas of Auckland, uh, but the rest of New Zealand at the moment, you're high and dry, and if you're, you're uh, further afield away from the CBD, uh, you may be out of luck as well, but definitely worth looking at uh, if you're travelling. And a little tip, if you're in uh, in somewhere which is non-English speaking and you don't know the lingo, uh, there, are, there are some uh, tricks there in terms of getting to your... Uh, destination. What I used was I just got the uh, um, the hotel concierge to write down uh, the the address for me uh, in Mandarin and Chinese uh, for the driver, and then I would hand that to them on a bit of paper, and that usually uh, usually worked in terms of getting where I needed to uh, needed to That's go. Uh, so yeah, there there are techniques like that. If you prepared in advance, then you can get wherever you need to get, and uh, you know have something with the uh, your hotel address or whatever written written down uh, to get back, but I found it extremely helpful in in Taipei just knowing that I had the app in my pocket and I could get transport from wherever I was uh, because you know I didn't need to be able to tell them the address of where I was where you would with a normal taxi service because it was just straight off the GPS. Uh, it would see me. I'd be out. I'd be looking for the Uber car, and you can tell which one it is because you given in advance the uh, you know the Number registration plate. plate and so on of the vehicle. That so was a bit hit and miss in um, in San Fran. We found maybe half the vehicles either didn't have a, a number plate in the uh, in the actual app, or the other half um, the number plate didn't match. Oh wow! I never, I never, saw, which was I've never really strange. That anywhere else, so yeah. um, the other thing I like, really like about Uber is, and it doesn't really apply to me, but it, it, you know, if you're using a um, a company card and you've got to get reimbursed in your expense claims, as soon as the ride's over, Uber sends you a receipt, so you're not having to worry about losing any paper receipts. And the receipt's fantastic; it gives you a little map showing you where you started, where you left, what time you left, what address it was, where you ended up, what time you ended up there, how far it was, who picked you up. And gives you a full fare breakdown. It's the receipt alone is right. fantastic. That's probably enough us gushing on uh, about Uber. Uber. Um, <coughs> probably of most interest, as I say, to uh, to travellers and those uh, moving around Auckland, uh, Auckland CBD. Uh, one last one last thing. A news story that I had uh, had actually missed uh, in the last week or so is that. Um, Chorus have signed a deal. They've uh, contracted an Australian company called uh, Universal Communications Group um, to help with connecting uh, multi-dwelling units, which most of us would just call apartments, um, to basically connecting apartments up to um, Chorus's ultra-fast broadband network in um, in Auckland and in Wellington. So, you know, that's good news for those that are in apartments and are trying to get their ultra-fast broadband uh, connected. Is that uh, you know, chorus by the looks of are expanding their capabilities as far as this is concerned, and uh, you know hopefully that that helps them uh, just you know keep that side of things uh, moving because I know with uh, you know more complex situations like being in an apartment, um, you know complex it can it can take more time to get your ultra fast broadband installed. So uh, anything that helps helps that process is uh, it's got to be a good one. 
Some late breaking news that's come in from uh, Telecom New Zealand. Their on-demand uh, subscription video service uh, that was launched or announced in February uh, titled Show Me TV and then in uh, March where the name was uh, cancelled, uh, that has now been confirmed as being called Lightbox and that will be available in, in New Zealand very soon. Uh, The details about it are online now at lightbox.co.nz. They've they've announced some of the initial shows that they're launching with. Uh, The new 24 series, which has just aired in the US, uh, 24 Live Live Another Day uh, with Keith Sutherland. Uh, That that one's coming. Uh, They have Vikings uh, also on the lineup and... uh, Mad Men, but they say in total there's about 5,000 hours uh, worth of TV content that they're going to be launching with. Uh, no uh, no details of any movies as yet. Now, um, the enticing thing is is that you can jump on board and try this out at launch. Uh, a 30-day trial will be available for free. After that, for those who want to continue on, uh, it's going to be $15 a month. Now, it's going to work through uh, through PCs, uh, also through the iPad, and you'll, if you've got an iPad uh, and an Apple TV, uh, you'll be able to use AirPlay to uh, to push that out to your TV. You can link up uh, or register five devices with uh, into your, your Lightbox account and have uh, two shows uh, operating can concurrently if you've got more than one person in the house that wants to uh, wants to watch something. Um, so that's the long and the short of uh, of the new subscription video on demand service from Telecom Lightbox.co.nz. If you want to uh, jump on board and get access to that free trial at launch. Well, uh, Nate, I think that's all for uh, for this episode. So. Uh Thank you very much for that's right. Uh, Good to be here for for joining me on this episode. Now we can track you down online. Your blog is um, it's on the Geekzone front page, or you can just go to um, Nate Dunn. That's N A T E D U N N dot com. It forwards through. Um, I use Twitter quite a bit, so just at Nate, nice and short. Excellent, and you can track me, Paul Spain, uh, at Paul Spain on Twitter, um, across uh, the other social networks, uh, Google Plus and. Uh, Facebook too, and of course uh, NZ Tech Podcast. We're we're again on uh, on all of those social networks at uh, at NZ Tech Podcast on Twitter, and of course nztechpodcast.com. Uh, if you're listening uh, or if you use iTunes or an Apple device, um, we would love it if you would give us a rating um, through through the app or or through uh, iTunes. Um, always appreciated so yeah hey that's us thanks everyone for listening in and we'll catch you next week for the next episode okay see ya 